0: All right, so here's what's happened with our verses. I received a little rebuke this last week from an ALCS teacher, who teachers know how to teach things, and she said you're you're a you're going too fast with a memory verse, and b. Um, you need to actually read it. You can't be struggling through, even though you have it memorized or closed. You have to read it because we can't be responding to your wrong thing. That all came, <laughs> that all came with great love from my daughter Christina. All right. So could we stand together? Um, we're going to do Second Peter. One, five through 10. We're not going to bring back the first verses until later, but first, we're going to read it out loud together. Uh, so please join me as we read this. Now, for this very reason also, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Okay, now we blank the screen. I will be reading very slowly, and I'm trusting you to do this as much as you can with me. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, Perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great, great love. Thank you that you are committed not just to saving us and bringing us to heaven one day, but to making us into your image here, to transforming us, to raising up qualities in us that reveal your beauty down here so that people want you. They want want what you have because they see you in us. Lord, would you speak today? Lord, I know Today is, it's going to be a little brutal. We're all going to see a little more of ourselves. A little more, maybe, of how unloving we have been. Father, I pray your point today is not in any way to condemn us. But Lord, to forgive us, wash us, and then call us higher to become who you want us to be. Please help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, we have been, if you're visiting today, we've been in a series called Transformed Lives. And we've been going through each of these qualities. That we are to add to our faith. Faith is the foundation. Faith is what Jesus has done for us. Faith, uh, uh, the foundation of our faith is not based on our goodness. It's based on his goodness. We, he's made us partakers of the divine nature through this faith. We've grabbed a hold of Jesus and his very nature, his very life is in us. And But there are qualities in us now through the new birth that we have to be diligent To work on, to work them out, to work that which God has worked in. Now we are to work out. We are to make sure that we are becoming what we say we are. And so today is transformed lives, brotherly kindness. Point one is loving the family. In the Greek, brotherly kindness is all one Greek word, Philadelphia. It is. It uses the word for love, phileo, which means fond affection. We are to love the family of God. We are to have a fond affection for each other. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. In love, and the word there is this phileo love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is talking about the body of Christ. This is how the body of Christ loves one another. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to have this fond affection to think of one another with high regard, with honor, with good feelings in our heart. First Peter, Peter uses this word in his first letter. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So part of our purification, part of coming to the truth, is developing this sincere Love for each other. Not a fake love, not a plastic love, not a, just a charm where we're, it's one thing, but this sincere love. And then he uses the word deeply. Love each other deeply from the heart. This is more than a cold, I have to love. This is, come on guys, he's saying, I want you to be into this. I want you to feel it. I, I want this I want you to fall in love with each other. This is what the body of Christ is called to do. It's called to be. Jesus said this. This is the new commandment I'm going to give you. I'm I'm starting a new community. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 apostles. He's starting a new thing. It's actually the, the thing that the old was pointing to was this new thing. And he said, this is the new commandment. To love one another as I have loved you then, then the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. Isn't it funny? The world's going to know, not when you tell them about it. The world's going to know, not when you love the world. The world's going to know when they see you loving one another. This is very profound. Jesus praised this in John 17. He says, Father, the glory you've given me, I've given to them to make them one. Even as you and I are one, make them one. Then the world will believe that you have sent me. The world believes not when they're told, but when they see the love of God. Love, love, true love is very, very rare in this world. And when people see it, they're like, where did that come from. Loving the family. This is the love that you have for your friends, for people that are on your team. Look at Matthew five forty four. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Okay, so this is the love where you love the people that love you. You love the people that like you. This is friendship love. Even the world understands this kind of love. Even if they're not good at it, they understand this kind of love. This, this agape love, pure love, we're gonna talk about that next week. That's the last strongest thing. And this is this is shown by loving your enemies, by loving strangers, by loving it's pure love. It has nothing to do with that other person. It is pure love. To understand agape versus Phileo, it'd be it be like this, okay? We're we're okay, so it's Memorial Day. We've got troops all over the world right now, and we're remembering, we're remembering that. America came at a price. Our freedom continues to have a price that people are paying, and we need to honor that sacrifice. So phileo love is loving the people that are in your squadron, getting along with the people that you're fighting shoulder to shoulder with. How many know it can be hard to love the people that are right next to you, that have got, they've got the same calling as you? And it turns out that we get pricked and we get hurt and we get offended and we need, to, we need to love each other, okay? Now, so that's phileo love. Here's agape love, loving ISIS. It's one thing to love the army and the guys next to you. It's another thing to love your enemies. Loving your enemies. The wor- world doesn't even understand how you could love your enemies. That's next week. This week is about loving The people that you're fighting with. The people that are on your team. The people that already like you. Loving the family. So it turns out that there's a whole group of people in this country that have been hurt by the family. And the reason why this is so profound and the, 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 the reason why people get so hurt by the church is this. When they're in the world, they expect the world to be filled with angry, hurtful, prejudiced people. Because that's the world. That's why Jesus came to save us. But when they come to church, they're hoping for something different. They're hoping to find love and truth in the church. And when people come to church, and from the very people, they've got this expectation. They've bring their, their they been beat up by the world. They've been hurt by the world. And they bring their stuff into the church. And instead of finding love and truth, when they find judgment and prejudice it wounds them in a way that they don't want to be part of a church. I've got a a friend, and she grew up in a pastor's home. It was a very conservative, Bible-believing church. And uh, in high school, her friend got pregnant, her friend who went to that church. And the church kicked her friend out the very time when she needed forgiveness and support and somebody to come alongside her, the church said, we don't want to have a bad reputation and you've stained our reputation and so we're going we're gonna to get you. As, as if the world would look at the church and say, well, they must believe in immorality by loving that pregnant one. I mean, it's just craziness. But they kicked her out. And what they didn't realize... When they kicked out this young lady that was pregnant, was that they had so deeply wounded her friend, the pastor's daughter, that she could never relate to the church. She still does not she, she still can't become part of a church. It it's funny because she does, she's been here many times. She 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 does believe this is different and and that we're at least trying to be different. And when she has friends that are pursuing God or want a church, she comes with them to City Church. But she, she can't fully plug in because those wounds go very, very deep. And I don't, I don't know that she understands forgiveness. I don't know if she knows how to forgive. And, um, why am I spending so much time on this? Because America is filled with these people. They're filled. They're, it's filled. You're not dealing with just, um, you know, why can't you see that Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the way? Here's why. They've been hurt. They've been hurt by Jesus' people. They don't know what to believe about Jesus. You, we're supposed to learn about Jesus by the people, but you have to a lot of times say Jesus isn't like the church. And, and then so, so then it gives people permission to be, be somehow be Christian but not go to church. Well, you, there, that doesn't even make sense. The church is his body. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us is part of the body. You trying to be a Christian without being part of the body, loving the body, devoted to the body, uh, walking with the body, you can't even function. A, A part of the body can't function outside of being connected. And so there are wounded people everywhere. But even when they come to faith, It's part of discipleship to become part and become devoted to the family of God, to to enter into this relationship that Jesus calls us all to, to love one another. This is how they're going to know that you're mine, by your love for the family of God. That's point one, loving the family. Point two, the source of brotherly love. You would think, well, certainly we need agape, God's, only God's love to love our enemies, but we can do this brotherly kindness thing. We, we, can, we can love, no, we can't. No, he's not just the source of agape. And just because the world understands loving those who like you, that doesn't mean they're good at it. God is the source of this phileo love. In John chapter 15, which happened to be our one-year Bible reading this morning, Jesus explained how the, how, the, how the Christian life works. He is the vine, and we are the branches. He is the source of all fruit, of all good things, of all beautiful things, of all, all, all love. He is the source, and as we abide in the vine... We are going to bear fruit. We're going to bear much fruit. But if we get away from the vine, you can do nothing apart from him. Which is why in our list of of qualities to develop, godliness comes before Brotherly kindness. These qualities are already in every believer. The whole list is already in you. It's part of the divine nature. This is about develop this one, then this one, then this one, and you're going to need this one for this one. You're going to need this one for this one. These are cumulative. We've talked about this almost every week. Well, godliness is before brotherly love. Why? Because it's going to take God to really love one another. Jesus said as I have loved you so you love one another. So what does it take to love other people? You got to be loved first. You You've got to get close enough to God to let him love you. Now you're able. Listen. You have to live loved before you can live loving. You have to get, you have to be connected to that source. You have to allow Jesus to love you. If you're going to love others the way he loves you, then you're going to have to receive his love. You're going to have to let him love you, and then the way he loves you, you're going to be able to love other people. This is why godliness is developed before brotherly kindness, because you gotta, you got to tap into this vine. Now listen, John 15, 8-13 spells this whole thing out of how the kingdom works. Here's what he says. Right after the vine, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So even Jesus himself, he's loved, and so he's loving. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Commands, commands. What commands am I supposed to do? Okay. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love no one has than this to lay one's life down for his friends. So this is, this is how the kingdom's going to work. Jesus came from the Father who loved him. And then he started loving from that divine source of love. And now the disciples are, are going to receive his love. And from that place, if they'll just remain in that love, if they'll just develop that love, this is how the kingdom is going to work. And God's love will be manifested in this world of hatred and prejudice and judgment and suspicion. And this is the plan, the source of brotherly love. Second, God's sovereignty limits friendships in this life. As we think about godliness first and getting our eyes on God first and focusing on God first and now we're going to love from that love, you're going to find out that your godliness, that your relationship with God has put limits on friendships in this life. And so I did my devotional this week on this. Uh, it's going out this morning. If you're on my devotional list, I asked... Nancy to wait until to send it out till today and here's why a you've already heard this before uh so it's all it's already like somewhere in there and b I wanted it to be somewhat fresh and even though it's not going to be brand new uh some of you uh you maybe you've heard this for the first time it comes from something my daughter Annie um taught me she's she's a huge relationship person and she taught me about people and friends, are, they fall into two categories, trees and flowers. And so this is called trees and flowers. Instead of me trying to say it, I'm just going to read it to you. The scripture that, it, that I quote at the beginning is, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. So here's the devotional. How do we navigate all the relationships in our lives? How can we love people and be loyal to people when we have so little time to share between so many? How can we reach out and love new people, yet still give the necessary time and investment to the valued relationships we already have? Only by giving all our relationships to God and by discerning his purpose in each one each of us will be called to have a few trees in our lives and many flowers. Likewise, each of us will be called to be a tree to a few people and a flower to many others. Let me explain. A tree is someone who is with you the rest of your life. A tree may not be as beautiful or as fragrant as a flower, but they are steady through good times and through bad. They are the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the friend who loves at all times, the friend who is willing to speak the truth even if it hurts, and the friend who believes in your destiny and God even though they know all your sins and faults. A tree is a blessing from God and should be valued and not taken for granted. As someone said, you can make new friends, but you can't make old ones. Flowers are temporary. They are beautiful and fragrant, and they enrich our lives by the grace they impart even though they aren't called to be trees. These are people God brings into our lives at just the right time to give us a message or to pray for us or to pick us up when we're down. We must thank God for them and not resent their seemingly temporary nature in our lives. All of them will be trees in eternity. But down here, they are called to be someone else's tree. If you think everybody should be a tree to you, then you will go through life feeling hurt and betrayed by those called to be only flowers to you. Why did they move away? Why did they send such a short response to my email? Why did they pretend to be my friend when they obviously weren't? We can easily judge flowers we wanted to be trees and end up shutting our hearts down in self-protection so we don't get hurt again. If we feel we have to be a tree to everyone in our lives, we will be so worn, worn so thin that we'll, end up, that we'll end up with many companions but no real friends. Or we'll be unwilling to love people fully unless we can be there for them the rest of their lives. Yet God wants to use your gifts and fragrance to bless many lives that you won't be able to be a tree to. You and I will be disappointed with some people and be a disappointment to others. But there is one we can always please who is the ultimate tree, Jesus. Why is this, Pastor Tom? Why, why, why are we in this thing where we have to kind of figure out all of this thing? In this life, our main objective is to help other people find the source. Part of the message is is that we're not the source. The story of Mary and Martha found in Luke 10 is very instructive for us. Martha, they're having a dinner party. Martha's uh, serving in the kitchen. She's making the food. She's doing the dishes, whatever. Mary's out there sitting at Jesus' feet, and she comes out, and she says, Lord, tell my sister to help me. Um, I'm, 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 I'm all alone in here. Tell my sister to get off her butt and help me. That's my translation. So here we've got, we've got Mary, who is certainly a tree in Martha's life. She's a sister. She's probably her very best friend. And Martha just has done the math, and why, there's a need here. Why isn't Mary moving? Move. I need you. Now. Now. And Jesus teaches us something. He says, Martha, Mary has chosen. Don't ever say, Mary did not serve, because Martha starts it by saying, Mary has left me to to serve alone. Mary was serving too. She just, when the main event got there, Mary was out there with Jesus. Here's what Jesus says to Martha Mary has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken. From her. Oftentimes, we think we're living in love and we're living in guilt. Let me say it another way. If you can't say no to people because you think every need that everybody has, every expectation that everybody has is a demand that you must meet. If you, if you can't say no to anybody, you're not really saying yes to anybody. Your, your life is being taken from you by guilt. And sometimes it's very hard to see guilt, especially if you were raised by guilt and the way people always got you to work was guilt and, that, and then you start using that on other people and, and guilt gets stuff done. But, it, but it, it, it doesn't help us love. So here's what happens when you say No. When when God tells you to say, if Jesus says to Mary, Mary, right now you need to get up and serve Martha. Mary is up and serving Martha, regardless of the guilt trip, because Jesus is worthy of our obedience. But here's what happened to Martha, because Mary said no, because Mary was unwilling to be manipulated by guilt. Here's what happened. Martha got her own face-to-face meeting with the source and her values and what she was living for were questioned. And she got an opportunity when Jesus says, "Mary has chosen the good part." He's saying this, "Martha, you could choose the good part." See, sometimes we see ourselves as kind of everybody's savior. It's a, it's a complex. And we're, we're, we need, it. and they need us, and they need, it. we can't do it without you. And we kind of like hearing that. You can't do it without you. You got to come down, da, 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 da. So we don't even pray about it. We just, yeah, we're so important because that makes me, that strokes me. Sometimes you need to say no so that other people recognize they're not the source. It, but it's hard. It's hard. It's very hard if you're married to have a, her sister disappointed with her, her sister judging her for not helping It's got to be about the source. It's got to be about people finding the source. Oftentimes people want something from me, and and I want them to find the source. So I'll say, I'll do this. I'm not going to do everything, but I'll do something. Here's what I'll do. Here's the something I'll do. Why? I want you to know I love you. I am for you. But I also want you to know that I'm not your Savior, Jesus is. And you need more than what I can do. I'm not the answer to your problem. God is the answer to your problem. So that was point two. Point one was loving the family. Point two, what was point two? The source of brotherly love. And here's point three. Becoming the friend you want to have. What? What's that mean? that simply means this. You can't make people be the friend you want them to be. Has anybody ever tried that? This is what a real friend is like. I need you. I need you now. I need. I need. You, you, you can't make people be the friend you want them to be. But you, you can be the friend that you want them to be. So there's no command in the Bible that tells us to make sure that people treat us in a certain way. Now, it's difficult, especially as Americans. We, we celebrate today all those that died for our rights. They, they died so that we could live in a free country. And part of, part of honoring their death is to live in the freedom that was purchased for us. And so we're, we're very sensitive about Rights and that, that we've got rights in America and human beings ha, ha, as individuals have rights that we're, we're paid for and that is America and that's how America works and um, that's an important thing. But in the kingdom, it, it works different. In the kingdom, God has a right and he calls us actually to lay down our rights to be treated in a certain way. And to trust him to be our defender. And instead of focusing on how we're being treated, the whole impetus of the new covenant is to focus on how you're treating other people. You can become the friend that you wish you had. A few years ago, Um, Chief Justice Roberts gave the commencement uh, speech at his middle school son's graduation. And I want to read to you some of of what he said in that commencement uh, speech. Here's what he said. Commencement speakers will typically wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that. And I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. When you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then, your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message In your misfortunes. Has anybody noticed that people are broken in this world? Even the people that you love the most are broken. And you hang around people enough and you get close to them, which there's a longing in us to be close, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to betray you in some ways. They're going to, or at least you're going to feel betrayed by them because we've, and, and in this brokenness, in this hurt, in this offense, isn't this it's just it's crazy? But in a mystery, that God has given these things as a gift to us. The first thing that, that you get to do when you're hurt, betrayed, mistreated, the first thing you get to do is you get to learn something called Forgiveness learning how to forgive. And there's all kinds of strategies to how to forgive people, and you hear them all the time. You know, forgive them so that they, they will do the right thing the next time so that they're released. Forgive them because the only person that you're hurting when you don't forgive is yourself. And these are strategies to forgive and motivations to forgive. And I, I appreciate all motivations to forgive. But that, that those none of those are the highest motivation. Here's, here's, the, here's the highest motivation to forgive. For Jesus' sake. Jesus forgave you. And whatever complaint you've got about how they hurt you, they 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 didn't do this, they didn't do that, listen, just so you know. And and I and I absolutely certainly want to affirm that you were hurt and that you were sinned against you were betrayed you were abused i'm not i don't want to minimize hurt at all but here's what we all need to understand what you have done to jesus if you could see it is way worse than what's been done to you what how you and i have taken for granted the holy Lamb of God, how we have blasphemed Him, how we've sinned against Him in ways we don't even know. And He, in His great love, has died for us. And He's offered this free forgiveness. And the first act of worship He asks back is simply this. As I have forgiven you, now I want you to forgive those who have hurt you. Have you noticed that He threw that in the Lord's Prayer? He, he had us pray this daily, forgive them, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He threw it right in there, didn't he? Kind of like a trick. Hey, well, how did that get in there? Why is it? Because God wants to teach the world how to forgive through the church. Whenever we think about the cross, whenever we think about the price he paid, whenever we think of our own sin and how undeserving we are, it makes us want to forgive. Whenever we dwell on how other people have hurt us and and we replay the scene of how I was hurt, how I was betrayed, what they said behind my back, what I didn't deserve, it makes us want to be angry and hold on to things what you need to understand is you're the one that gets to decide which you, which you meditate on. You get to decide that. You, you, got, you get, get outside of your thoughts and you decide, am I going to go that? I, there's two roads to go down. I understand both of them. But one leads to darkness. One leads to resentment. One leads to hatred. One leads to suspicion. One leads to self-protection. There's no good fruit over there. Trust me. And there's another one that leads to Sweetness, it leads to the presence of God. It leads to joy in heaven over you. That's amazing. Even though, you know, they seemingly, seemingly got away with it because you forgave them. Then, whatever they did to you that wasn't right. There's some, see, there's something about when something happens to you that's wrong that it opens up your... Pain opens up the human heart. Beauty and pain open up the human heart. And when the human heart is open, it can actually make a change. It's kind of like surgery. <laughs> you want to get that thing out of there, you got to open it up first, don't you? Once it's open, once you've experienced real pain, a change can be made. And did you, did you hear what J- Chief Justice Roberts was saying? All of these things can work for you. you. Now you know what betrayal is. Now, make sure you never betray. Now you know what it is to have somebody taunt you and, and be arrogant and purpose in your heart. Forgive them, and then purpose. You'll never do that to somebody else because you know how it feels. Become a better friend because of the brokenness you've experienced through other people. You actually learn about friendship by your pain. You learn, wow, that hurt. God in heaven, I forgive them. Now God, give me grace so that I never do that to anybody else. I never want to be like that to somebody else. It's called transformation. It's called becoming better people by the grace of God. God. So let me give you the four qualities of a true friend. Nope, three. The whole message got changed this morning. I don't know what I was thinking about during the week, but I got in here Early this morning, I'm like, "Oh, no, this message doesn't even make sense. so <laughs> Qualities of a true friend. Number one: friends are faithful. Proverbs 17:17: 17, 17, "A friend loves at all times." When you pursue a friendship with a person, and in the midst of that friendship, their brokenness becomes evident to you. Well, this isn't what I signed up for. I, I signed up for somebody that was this, 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 and this, and it turns out they've got issues. They've got issues. And if at that point you abandon that person, that's actually more of a statement about you than it is about them. When somebody else's brokenness is exposed to you, now you have a chance to actually be their friend. A friend loves at all times. An acquaintance only loves you when you're lovable, when they want to be around you. The way that you become better friends is when you actually reveal something of yourself that's broken or the other person or that brokenness becomes evident in the relationship and you work through it and you don't give up on them and you stand by them and you confront them and you deal with it and now you could say, we're friends because a friend loves at all times. Number two, friends speak the truth. Proverbs 27, six, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Speaking the truth. Do you value your friendships enough to speak the truth? If, if, if all you want is for people to like you, then you're going to lie to everybody around you so that they don't ever get offended with you. And so, that, and so um, I, just, I just want everybody to like me, and the focus is me. And friends are willing to say hard things, difficult things, because that's what friends do. Now... Psalms 141.5 gives us some advice. Let, David says, Let the righteous smite me in kindness, and it will be oil upon my head. Friends are people that tell you the truth in a kind way. How many know that enemies like to tell you the truth? <laughs> and they tell it to you in a cutting, biting, oftentimes in a way that's not completely true. It doesn't include God's love. It doesn't include that you're valuable. It's just demeaning, cutting, cynical, and there might be some truth in it, but it comes in such a way that you, you become wounded by it. The righteous, let the righteous smite me in kindness. So we have a guy on our staff. He's the executive pastor here, Pastor Joel Alberti. And everyone on staff knows that Joel is the kindest person on the staff. It's just nice. Sometimes we say he's the Christian on the staff. (laughs) Now here's the funny thing. You would think because Joel is so kind that Joel would somehow never tell you the truth that you don't want to hear. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Joel Joel's main ministry is counseling, and Joel, to make the best use of his time, he always tells the truth. You're not, there's nowhere to hide when Joel, when you're with Joel, he's going to tell you the truth. But he does it in such a kind way that sometimes you spend time with Joel and you were talking about something. I meet with him almost every week, and you leave the office and you're on your way back up, and you're, and you're all of a sudden it's like, oh my, I was just rebuked. He was so nice about it. He was so kind about it. I couldn't possibly be offended, but oh my. Guys, be kind to each other. Speak the truth, but let's speak the truth in love to each other. We've got a world that is so harsh with each other and yelling at each other and most of the humor is based around cynicism and cutting and knocking and and that somehow becomes a culture of funny and if it's funny, it can be justified and then you come back and say, but that hurt me you say, I was just joking, I was just joking oh, there's a proverb about that I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's not good, trust me (laughs) Now, Peter says this, love overlooks a multitude of sins. It is not your job to be the Holy Spirit to the people around you where you everything you see, you need to speak. That boom, 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 boom. No, you, you would be, spend your whole day telling everybody what's wrong with them. That gets old really quick. So most of the sins you see around you, you just need to love people more than their brokenness, more than their sins, and you just love people. If they hurt you when you stand praying, forgive them. Here's when you go to people one-on-one. Matthew 18, 15, probably the most violated verse in Scripture. If your brother sins against you, go to him... Rebuke him privately so that you will win him. When you go one-on-one to somebody, it is for their sake, not for your sake. Mark 11.25 says, Forgive them when, you, when you're praying for them. You don't have to wait for them to say anything or do anything to forgive them. You, you and I, before Jesus, have to forgive everybody. whether they're sorry or not. That doesn't mean you have to trust everybody, but you have to forgive everybody. When you go one-on-one to rebuke somebody privately, it is because you don't want them to damage their own life. You don't want them to stumble over what they're doing. You don't want them to be at odds with God. And so God, who is the source, has told you, you're praying for them, you've already forgiven them, you're praying for them, and God says, go to them. Go to them and win them, speak it. If God's not telling you to do that, then you just overlook that sin and just go on. This is life in this world. But if God's saying to to go to them one-on-one, here's what you do. You do hard things. Everything in life is not easy is it hard to go privately to somebody and tell them where they've sinned? Yeah, it's really, really hard. You know what's way easier? To complain about that person to someone else. That's one of the easiest things to do. And guess what? The enemy will find somebody else that's also complaining about them. He will point them out to you. And you can get a little party going around how much we dislike that other third person. And here you are, they think you're their friend, and you're stabbing a a, a sword in their back every time you gossip behind their back. If you value the friendship, then you're going to go to them. You'll speak the truth to them, not to everybody else, but to them. Now sometimes, because that's so hard, you need to come to a pastor. You need to come to somebody that's part of the solution, not part of the problem. And pastors will help you, or a small group leader, or somebody that can give you advice, somebody that's older than you, somebody that's not, you're just complaining to, somebody that you honestly don't know how to deal with this situation. And here's what, here's what I'll say to you. Okay, because sometimes people come to me and they want me to go to them. <laughs> they're, they've been bad, they're doing bad things, I need you to go confront them. And I'm like, and I'll be happy to, but you have to go first. Seriously, because if I go to them, you guys don't have a friendship anymore. You've just betrayed them. They feel like, like you 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 didn't have the courage to go to them to value that friendship. So you, you know, I'm going to get you in trouble with the pastor. I don't want I don't want I don't want people to get divided from each other. So I'll send you back. I'll pray for you. I'll help you to discern: Are you really supposed to confront this, or is it, or do you just need to forgive them and get over your own stuff? I'll help you. That's what pastors do. Because we, God wants us to, to love each other. He wants us to love each other. And that means we have to do hard things. And it's very different than in the world. Well, what if the person's not a Christian? You know what? It's even more important. Because I know how the world works. You never go to the person. You talk about the person in the break room. You don't go to them. And it's so refreshing when you go to somebody in the world and say, this is what you did. I've been praying for you and I really feel like God wants me to just bring it to your attention. It's just very different. Isn't this a a great message? All right, let's move on. (laughs) Qualities of a true friend. Friends are faithful. Friends speak the truth. And finally, friends see God's destiny and not just faults. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Sharpened for battle. Sharpened so that we've got power. We've got anointing. So that our destiny that God put us in this world for is more available, more easily used. Friends Bring that out of each other. We believe in each other. We believe that we are parts of the body of Christ and that you have a part and that I need you and the body of Christ need you. And and we speak to that identity and we we sharpen each other and we stir one another up to love and good deeds. And being around friends, it, I love this verse, Proverbs 13:20. He who walks with wise men becomes wise. I love that one because it doesn't require me to be wise. I just need to walk with I need to find wise people to walk with. And then I get, I get what they have. I love that. I want to have friends that sharpen me, that stir me, that call me into everything God wants for me in this life. So here is the scenario. God has anointed David through Samuel. But everything has gone very, very bad. Thank you, Leo. And Saul got jealous and Chase starts chasing David. And David, who was supposed to be the next king, is now running around for his life in the desert. And God puts a people, a, a, a group of people around David. Thank you, God, for these friends you put around me. It says that all the debt-ridden, all of the discouraged... And all of the discontented came out to David, and God made David their leader. Thank you, God, for giving me all these unhappy people to be my best friends. So here he is. He's out there. He's got this group. His promises are far from coming true. It's supposed to go one way. He's got all these people out there in the wilderness, and, uh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, David's best friend comes out to him and here's what he says to him. This is 1 Samuel 23. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash. this is the wilderness, and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul Gnosis. What did that mean to David? What did it mean when he's in the wilderness, he's discouraged, it's hard, life is difficult, all, he starts questioning everything God spoke to him, everything that was supposed to be in his destiny, he starts questioning it. And here, here Jonathan makes his trip out there and speaks the very words of God about his destiny that came from God himself. And he says, listen, even the enemy knows this. You are going to be what God has called you to be. This is what friends friends do for each other. They refuse to just say you're going to be whatever your circumstances are, and they speak the very word of God to you. All right, last, last thing. The qualities of a true friend. Jesus loves you like no one else has ever loved you. Romans 5, 8, he has loved you at all times. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've never had a friend like this. While you were doing your worst, while you were being your worst, while you were in the midst of your sin, Jesus never stopped loving you. He loves you at all times. People, people, Might love you if you're having a good day and don't love you if you're having a bad day. God's not like that. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He demonstrated his love for you and for me. Second, John 14, three, Jesus says, there are many rooms in my father's house. If If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus always tells the truth to his friends. I use this verse all the time at funerals. Because a lot, here's how the world thinks about heaven. It's something that people made up to feel better. They just made it up to feel better. They tell children about heaven because it makes, makes everybody feel better. It makes it feel like there's more. And, and people are used to lying to their children to make them feel better. And Jesus says, listen, there's many rooms in my Father's house. If it wasn't so, I, would tell you. I, don't, I don't tell you what you want to hear. He didn't just talk about heaven, did he? He talked about hell. When Jesus talks about hell, it was never to scare anybody. It's because he's warning us, hell is real. You, you may not understand it, you may not grasp it, but Jesus is like, it's real, you do not want to end up there. Pluck your eye out, cut your arm off, don't end up in hell. Uh, Jesus just, he didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. He told people the truth. And he is the one that will always take you in private That's always his plan, is not to publicly humiliate you. If you have to be publicly humiliated, it's because you refuse to listen to him in private. He will find the least humiliating way to confront you of what you're doing and tell you it's wrong. This is why the greatest thing you can do is have a quiet time every day. Just have time with him and make yourself a target for truth. There's no one kinder and gentler than Jesus. Whenever he points something out, it's not to condemn you. He... Why would he condemn his children? He's voting for us. He's cheering for us. He just wants us to be better. And he wants us to clean up things that that we need forgiveness for. And he wants us to make changes so that we become more and more beautiful and more powerful in this life so that other people will believe also. Jesus will always tell you the truth. He is the friend that is faithful enough to wound you. And then finally, Jesus believes in your destiny. Above all of your faults and all your failures, Jesus believes in your destiny. He says to Peter, he says to Simon, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. We get right to the end and... Simon, Peter's had a little trouble with being called the rock and being the leader. And he's very, he just has become very filled with himself. And then he declares to to Jesus that he is the rock and that everybody else might betray him, but that he himself will die for them. I am the rock. I I am immovable. I am your friend. And Jesus is like, nope. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock grows. Then he says this in Luke 22. I prayed for you. The enemy tried to sift you, but I prayed for you. And when you return, you're going to strengthen your brothers. You are going to become the rock. You are going to become loving. You are going to become everything that, you, that I want you to be. You're not that now, and you don't realize it. But I believe in you, Peter. I'm praying for you. I'm fighting for you, Peter. You are going to become the rock. So when God looks at you and when he looks at me, here's what he says. Follow me. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you a rock. I'm going to teach you how to love. I'm going to make you love like heaven loves. It says that Jesus is anointed, Isaiah 61, to raise us up as oaks of righteousness. Solid character, beautiful character in this world of reeds and wisp and people back and forth, people that can be bought and sold for nothing, people that will betray in a moment, people that are dominated by the fear of man. Uh, we, we live in a land where there's so little character anymore. People tell you your word, they give you their promise, and you don't even know what that means anymore. Jesus said, "In the midst of that, I'm going to raise you up. you're going to be strong." You're going to be virtuous. You're going to be filled with love. I am going to show you, I'm going to make you lovers in this world. And that transformed life is going to shine. Could we, as the worship team comes, could we have every head bowed and every eye closed? Maybe you're here today and... You have, you, you, Jesus is more a name to you, maybe a churchy name, maybe a doctrine, and you've never met him personally. Well, it's really hard to love like he loved without letting him love you first. Jesus says these words, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him. So if that's you today... You're here. You don't know if you're forgiven. You don't know if you'd go to heaven if you did, But you know this. And maybe you don't know why you know it. But you know Jesus is knocking today. And you want to make a response. Would you just raise your hand right now high enough for me to see it? and We're going to pray a prayer to open the door. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. I got you, bro. Anybody else? Jesus is knocking right now. And you know it. You may not know why you know it. Your, your head might not even be able to grasp it, but in your heart, you know Jesus is knocking. Would you just raise your hand right now? We're going to pray in just a moment. Okay, I'd like those that raise their hands. Just put your hand over your heart right now. Pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my freedom from sin on the cross. Lord, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to wash me. I need you to make me everything you want me to be. Lord, I've become what I've made myself, what sin has made me, what the opinions of others have made me. Today, Jesus, I want you to make me what you want me to to make me. Come in and save me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? So I just... uh, as I thought about this today, I just, I want you to know something. I love this church. I love you guys. And I just, I want to I wanna sharpen you. I want to strengthen you. I want to pray for you. I, I want every one of us to become what God wants us to be. Would you, would you mind just opening your arms like this and let me pray for you? Lord, you are just so amazing. You see a a, a big group of people like this and you see every single one individually as well. And you are, the, you are that ultimate tree that is always there, that can go home with them, that can be with them tonight, that they can be with them when they're tempted. Lord, in Jesus' name, reveal your presence more. Lord, this was never about the pastor. This was about the source. You're the source, Jesus. Please reveal yourself. Reveal yourself to each one, Jesus. And Lord, would you speak to them that you haven't given up on them? And they got tripped up, yes, and an enemy came and tried to sift them, yeah, and they got hurt and they got offended, and they, and, but you're saying today, come on, get back up. I want you to forgive today. And then I want you to learn. I want you to never do what was done to you to anybody else. I wanna give you grace right now. I wanna put a stake in your heart right now that says, I'm gonna be the friend that that person was not to me. I will be that friend. Lord, cause your people to rise up. Well, why did they do it? Here's why. Because they're broken. And we live in a broken world. Now, Lord, please make us the friends that we would like to have. Even if nobody around us seems to be that great to us. Make us that to others, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you.